listening to a message from Maranatha Church of Jacksonville. For information, please visit our website, maranathajax.com. Well, if you've been with us for the last several months, we've been journeying through the Gospel of John. And last week we did John 14, and we're going to take one week break from that. So we're going to be doing John 15 next week. And since <laughs> I thought about this, I was like, well, you know, we could have probably started in a way so that we would be talking about Easter on Easter, but we missed by like three weeks. So we're going to be covering this exact same subject in the Gospel of John in about three weeks, um, which is fine with me. But it's because of that, I decided today to speak about the resurrection of Jesus from the Gospel of Luke, and that's Luke 24. So we don't have screens or anything today, but all of you have a phone. If you want to turn there, you can. And I want to speak today, kind of just tell you a story. It's a story many of us know, many of us that are um, part of the church, from the church. Hold on, the wind is being a problem. Okay, I got my thing figured out now. But I want to talk to you um, about this story of Jesus, what Easter means, what Easter Sunday means. And I especially want to talk to you if, if you don't know this story, or if you don't know or don't have faith in Jesus. Easter is a celebration of the day that Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, the Savior of the world, who was crucified on a cross on Friday and buried in a tomb, arose from the grave, never to die again. And by doing so, crushed all the powers that oppress us and reestablished our connection with God. That's a big deal. That is an incredibly significant event. The most significant event, I would argue, in human history. And I wanna invite you into this story. I've mentioned last week I might read some quotes. I've kind of got a new Easter tradition for myself um, is to read the book Foolishness to the Greeks by Leslie Newbigin, who's a missionary to India in the kind of 1930s, 40s, and 50s. And, uh, but he wrote some things about what the gospel is and how to communicate that to different cultures and stuff. And it really blesses me to read it around this time. And I mentioned last week I might share some quotes. So I've got several quotes from Leslie Newbigin that I want to read to you today. Um, and, one of the, and the first one is this. It's by the word gospel he's talking about. We don't mean Christianity, like a, a thing we're doing. We don't, we're not talking about a religious experience. We're talking about a factual statement, namely that at, a, that at a certain point in history, the history of this world, the only history, the history of this world, God, who is the author, the sustainer, the goal of all that exists, of all being and all meaning and all truth, has become present in our human history as the man Jesus whom we can know and whom we can love and serve. And that by his incarnation, his ministry, his death and resurrection, he has finally broken the powers that oppress us and created a space and a time in which we who are unholy can nevertheless live in fellowship with God who is holy. Church, that's really good news. That is really good news. I hope that's, I hope that's communicating to your spirit right now. And you might be going, okay, fine, I've heard this my whole life. But you might also be just saying that I find that very difficult to believe. Like, I like it in a, I like thinking of it as a Christian thing or just a religious experience. But the idea that this is actual history, like history is if you could take, like in Back to the Future, get in a time traveling and go back to that time, um, that you would actually see this thing happening. Um, and if you feel like that, it's okay to feel like that because that's what we're going to look at in this story. First Corinthians 1.18 says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 
So this has and probably always will be difficult to believe, and yet it remains the power of God. And I want you to look at that, this foolishness and power. That's actually what I've called this message. It's hard to believe because it's confounding. The resurrection is the revelation. Wait, hold on, sorry. This is another Leslie Newbigin quote. The resurrection is the revelation to the chosen witnesses of the fact that Jesus who died on the cross is indeed king, conqueror of death and sin, Lord and Savior of all, the resurrection is not the reversal of a defeat, but the proclamation of a victory. The king reigns from the tree. The reign of God has indeed come upon us. It is a sign, and its sign is not a golden throne, but a wooden cross. That is confusing to the powers of this world, but it is the truth. And then continue another quote here, but it can't be a private thing. See, a lot of us like to think, you know, you, you believe what you believe, I'll believe what I believe. You know, we don't need to get in each other's way or anything like that. But if this is in fact history, and this is in fact a thing that actually happened, it's not a private matter. It's the truth. It's just the history of the world. And here is this. There is only one Jesus. And there is only one history. The question is whether the faith that finds its focus in Jesus is the faith with which we seek to understand the whole of history. It means that the whole existing order of nature and history is confronted by a new reality that gives it new meaning. It means a radical contradiction of the world as it is. And because we weren't there 2,000 years ago, we have the story and we share the story. And the story can, depending on the, the, the where we are, depending on who we are, depending on what we're going through, could sound to us like foolishness or it could sound to us like the power of God. And what I want to look at today in Luke 24 is exactly how that happens, kind of for the first time. So I'm just going to read it and make a couple comments as we go along. And uh, we'll see that it's always been foolishness and it's always been power. Luke 24, on the first day of the week, that's Sunday, that's today. The first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. This is the tomb Jesus was in. Just trying to make sure everybody knows what's going on. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. And then they go on. Remember how he told you? While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. So Jesus wasn't hiding ever what he was doing. In fact, he told everybody a bunch of times what he was doing. In fact, oftentimes, as we've seen in the Gospel of John, as soon as Jesus said, people go, what are you doing? And he goes, well, I'm doing all these things because I'm God. And they're like, well, we should stone you now. He's like, what are you stoning me for? Because I did these good things? And like, no, we're doing it because you said you were God. He goes, but what if I am God? What am I supposed to say? Lie about it? And the answer is no, he can only tell the truth. And when he, and he, and he always does and he always will, but we always have struggle understanding it because it sounds like foolishness to us because to the ways of the world, it is foolishness. And as soon as these angels reminded them, they're like, oh yeah, he did say that, didn't he? And he goes on, when they came back from the tomb, this is, so they left the tomb and went back, right? These are the ladies. They told all these things to the 11, the other disciples, minus Judas, the 11, okay? So he told all these things to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. So this is the first 
telling of this story, the first telling of this good news. And it was done by women, which is important to note. I'm just going to say that. But in verse 11, they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. So at the very first telling of this, amazingly good news, good news about the most important event in human history, the first reaction by the closest people to Jesus was not to believe it because it sounded like nonsense. We'll just keep going. Because it starts to stack up and you'll start to see where I'm going with this. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, which I like Peter because he's like, maybe there's a chance, right? Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So he's not already there like, gosh, guys, I'm sure they're all right. He's like, maybe, you know, we're in that kind of spot, right? And I'm, I'm trying to tell you, it's okay to be honest about these kinds of things. These guys were. I mean, we have recorded here, they thought it was nonsense. And that when he saw it or saw, the, you know, that Jesus was gone, he was wondering what had happened. So he's not all the way over here yet. You know, he's kind of halfway. And he keeps going. This is, this is where I think we, we might find ourselves really connected with these next guys. You'll see in your Bible, it probably has like a heading, like on the road to Emmaus. And this is what we're going to look at. Verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them, two other people who were following Jesus, not the disciples, but there was like a bigger number of people, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, all this stuff with Jesus dying, being crucified, this whole thing, what we were just looking at in the res week. They were talking about all that. It's kind of like what we're doing now, talking about what had happened. And they asked, wait, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, listen to this, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So this is an interesting thing about Jesus. He's up to things. And I think that Jesus is often among us and we don't notice, just like these guys. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you, as you walk along? They, they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? So this is kind of, I actually think this is funny because I think there's times when we actually pray to God just like this. Like, do you know what's going on? You know, and Jesus is like, the funny thing about this is in this story, it's so like, Jesus is like, no, please tell me. Like, I missed it. You know, it, it happened to him. You see what I'm saying? So it's like, not only does he know, he's like, I mean, first off, he would know just because he's God. But second, I was like, it literally happened to him. But he, Jesus kind of in a playful way, he's like, what things? You know, they keep going. And, it's, and they're like, about Jesus of Nazareth. And they're like, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. So listen to that. They're not, that first half, they're not wrong. He was a prophet. He was powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And they're not wrong. The priests handed him over to be crucified. But then they say, but we had hoped that he was going to, to be the one who, would rede- who was going to redeem Israel. They're in there, a lot of us are like this. We're right, but we don't have it all right. We get God, we get this idea, but like, you know, but I, like, I thought this was how it was going to work out. I thought it was going to be different. I don't know about you, but I've had these kind of conversations with God a lot. I thought it was going to be like this. I would rather have this have happened, you know. And, and truth is, he was the one and is the one who was going to redeem. He, he is the redeemer of Israel. He's not not that. But the way they thought he was going to do it isn't the way he did it. And therefore, it caused doubt. And it's okay. Jesus doesn't go, you know, he does challenge them. You'll see. And what is more, 
it is the third day since all this took place. So they're still telling about it. So like, he got killed. We thought he was the Redeemer of Israel. I don't know. But now it's the third day since this all took place. And in addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb earlier this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. So they're still not quite there. And he's, Jesus says to them this, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Again, it's like Jesus never hides what he's doing. You know, he's like, I am the redeemer of Israel. Let me remind you, I'm going to go back to Moses and all the prophets and just tell you everything. And he lays it out to them. I really wish we had that written down. I mean, we do have Moses and all the prophets, so we could probably put it together. But I wish we had Jesus' little summary right here. That would be really nice. But they still needed instruction to hear it. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, so he's eating with these guys. They still don't know who it is. So when he was at the table with them, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. So it's this kind of interaction with Jesus. There was never a point in this whole thing when they were not talking to Jesus. There was never a point in this whole interaction where Jesus wasn't among them. They just didn't know it. And it was when Jesus opened their eyes, they could see. Many of us and all of us walking in this world are in this world with Jesus and just don't notice. A lot of us want to tell him what's going on, like I was just talking about. But it requires him to open our eyes for us to see it. And as soon as he did, he did as soon as they recognized him, he disappeared from their sight. And then they asked each other, we're not... Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And then they just got up. They got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11 and those who were with them and assembled together. And they're saying, <laughs> and they, they said this, it is true. The Lord has risen. And he has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So they, what they did is when they saw Jesus finally for who he was, they told the story to other people. And that's exactly what we are to do. So you see the story of Jesus is both foolishness and the power of God. It's his foolishness to the ways of this world and foolishness to the kingdoms of this world, but it's power of God to those who have had their eyes open. The community of faith celebrates the resurrection of Jesus as the ground of assurance that the present and the future are not under the control of blind forces, but are open to unlimited possibilities of new life. This is because the living God who was present in the crucified Jesus is now an always sovereign Lord of history and therefore, therefore makes possible the continuing struggle against all that ignores and negates his purpose. That's the last Leslie Newbegin quote I have. I'm going to read it one more time. This kind of summarizes everything I wanted to say. The community of faith, that's us, celebrates the resurrection of Jesus today as the ground of assurance that the present and future are not under the control of blind forces like things just happened. 
They are not under the control of blind forces, but are open to unlimited possibilities of new life. When, Pete, when, this, when Satan and the powers of this world kill Jesus on the cross, they think they got him. Only to find out, oops, you were wrong. Unlimited possibilities of new life. If God can take the ultimate sin of humanity, killing God on the cross, and use that to redeem the whole world, do you think you can mess up your life beyond what God can fix? I mean, come on. Like, the worst thing's already been done. You can't do worse than that. Unlimited possibilities of a new life. This is because the living God who was present in the crucified Jesus is now and always sovereign Lord of history and therefore makes possible. This is it, guys, because this is where we are. This is what he makes possible. The continued struggle. We're in a struggle. Remember I said the other day, if you were there in this world, you will have tribulation. The continued struggle against all that ignores and negate or negates his purpose. And I want to, I want to invite you into that story, into the his, true history of the world. Kevin, why don't you come on up here? I've invited Pastor Kevin. He's going to help institute communion. <laughs> He's holding a baby right now. I'll give you a minute. The, uh, um, he's going to help serve communion as we're going to close the service today. And I'm going to play the piano while he's doing that. And, um, but here's the important thing. And this is an interesting year because Jesus in the Bible chose, chose to die on Passover. He chose to die on Passover. And that meant something. That meant a lot. That he meant like, you know, you're in this world of death, but now you have my blood to apply to the door. And at that Passover meal, Jesus gave new meaning to the bread and the wine as his body. And it was literally the breaking of that bread that opened the eyes of these guys in the story we just read. And so I'm praying that as we celebrate communion together, that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you would accept that as you eat this food. It's like literally entering your body and say, Lord Jesus, I submit to your rule in my life. And if you need prayer for that, if you have not prayed and accepted Jesus as your Savior, come find me or come find Pastor Kevin, especially after the service, and we'll pray with you.